0: Thank you, Matt, for the introduction. And it is um, bittersweet for me to be here in front of you all today, opening the Word of God, with, which is probably, as like Matt said, maybe one of the last times to do so with you all. We're going to be looking at the book of Ephesians. And as you turn there, I will um, give you a brief update with where we are in our ministry. The Lord has provided a destination for us that is the Philippines. Uh, That was determined for us last year, and now he's also provided individuals and churches and prayer partners all around the United States and even around the world um, who have come alongside us and who will be holding the rope as we go out. So the Lord has provided all the funds that we need to go. We bought our plane tickets, 7-Eleven is the date, 7-Eleven, 7-Eleven, it's Slurpee Day, so... Go ahead and get your free Slurpee, and uh, remember to pray for us on that day. Uh, we're going to be going and joining the team there. We're going to start running really quickly. We'll land on Wednesday. It's a full day ahead, and then the following Monday, there's actually three conferences that start back-to-back-to-back, to back to back. Um, so you can pray for us as we transition. We do potentially have a place to stay. Um, we're finalizing those details, but looks promising. And it's a a much better deal financially and a lot more space than we were anticipating. Um, So there's going to be a lot of work to do in the following weeks and coming weeks. So please, thank you. um, Pray for us in this transition period. I look forward to just talking with you guys more this afternoon and throughout the retreat and the coming weeks. um, Just how we can pray for you as well. So thank you. Uh, We're going to be looking at Ephesians 1 today. Uh, and thank you, Matt, for the wonderful uh, opening last night for our retreat. I, I love the topic of this year's retreat. It's practical in many ways. And throughout my time at GOC, this biblical call to remember has proven to be one of the best pieces of advice that has been ever given to me. And in turn, it has been one of the words of counsel that I've given the most, actually, to others why? Because as Christians, when we recall our former life in sin and the transformation of our lives in Christ, we can't but stop to praise Him for what He's done, right? Uh, for, for, we, we can't stop to proclaim that our heart has been transformed. Um, and even the very, very words that we looked yesterday, in Lamentations 3, we can't stop reciting that in our own life if we look back at our own salvation the words, great is thy faithfulness. No matter what situation you're in, whether it's uh, be a joyful one or, or a painful one, when you look back and remember what God has done, especially when, when life is uncertain or painful or even disastrous, when we remember how God has brought us from being slaves of sin to slaves of righteousness, our souls are encouraged and uplifted. Our souls... Uh, We have a a more proper perspective of what Scripture says. Even after our salvation, I'm sure each of you can recount many times in your own life when you went through something difficult, but only to emerge from that and to look back at that moment and to be able to say, God knew exactly what He was doing. I had no idea at that moment and that time, but in hindsight, again, God has been faithful. Count those moments blessings. I think that's why we're here today is to remember to count those blessings. Catalog those blessings. Store up the memory of those blessings. Forget not those blessings. For by doing so, the Lord will use them to help you face new and even more difficult trials in your life to come. And in turn, you're going to be able to then share that testimony with others. And that's why I'm excited to bring to you Ephesians 1 today. Matt's last point last night was the call to remember. And I believe that that's what, uh, in part, of what Paul's heart was in writing this letter to the Ephesians. See, Paul here was in, in prison in Rome when he penned this letter to the church. And while in prison, unsure of what was going to happen to him next, Paul recites the gospel not only to the church in Ephesus, but he's reciting it to himself. And he's remembering what God has done in his own life to save him, the chief of sinners, the one who would persecute Christians, and brought him out of that pit into life with Christ. See, Paul is reminding himself, exhorting himself at the same time that he's exhorting the others. And so, um, not only to encourage and remind the church, but also to himself. And so that's what we want to bring to you here today, is to be reminded, to be refreshed with the glories of the gospel from Paul's very own heart. Let's read it. We're going to look through uh, the first 14 verses, and we're going to focus on really verses 4 through through 14. But let's start at the very, very beginning. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, ...and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ... ...who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places... ...even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world... ...that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ... And things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the promise of his glory. Now, my task today is to help us all remember what God the Father has done for each of us today. Tomorrow, we're going to look at, specifically, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is intertwined and is central to this passage. So, we're going to give ourselves a little liberty and look just specifically at the aspects of what God has done here. So as we look at this passage, we're going to do just that. The opening verses of Paul's letter, let us highlight and remember what God has done for us in our salvation. If we think of the book of Ephesians as a whole, the first three chapters are doctrine, right? And the second three chapters is practice and how to live that out. And at the very beginning of Paul's part of the doctrine, We're going to see five ways here today, five ways that God has shown his blessing to Christians. And I pray that this serves as a means for remembering what God has done specifically for you, for remembering the benefits which God so freely gives to us. So we're going to start at verse 3, and then we're going to jump into verse 4 and look at our first way here. Blessed be the God of Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And that's all that to say is there are many spiritual blessings. There are many spiritual blessings that God has given to each of us who believe. But I just want to highlight five. And that's all we have time for here today is five. We're going to pull out these five. So the first spiritual blessing to remember is, number one, God is. Chose you. God chose you. Before the foundation of the world, before time began, God chose you. And if you can imagine God even before Adam and Eve, before the animals or the plants, or even before the heavens and the earth, imagine God sitting with him, the Trinity, having a thought about you about you. God, of all the billions and billions and perhaps even trillions of people who have come before and who will live throughout all of time, God thought about you. And he knew you. Not just as a name or as a grain, one in a trillion pieces of sand or across the world, but he knew you and your character. He knew what your tendencies would be. Your thoughts. Psalm 139 pictures it so well. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, oh, behold, oh, Lord, you know it altogether. Before the foundation of the world, God knows you. He knew you even before you were in your mother's womb. He intently and purposefully chose you, and he chose you to be something, to be something. Look at the text. He chose us to be holy. What does holy mean? Well, listen to the uh, theologian R.C. Sproul, how he defines it here. I quote, I I notice in our own language and vocabulary, the term holy seems to be used among us, particularly among Christians, as a synonym for moral purity and righteousness. There's nothing wrong with that, but it may be a little bit misleading. In the Scriptures, there is one primary meaning and one secondary meaning of the term holy. The secondary meaning is that which refers to personal righteousness and purity. However, the primary meaning of the word is separate, or if you will, theological apartheid. That which is holy is that which is other, that which is different from something else. The meaning of the word, end quote, the meaning of the word holy is, is separate, it's to, be, to be set apart. And the best way to see this in light of God's holiness, here again R.C. Sproul quotes, when the Bible speaks about God's holiness, the primary thrust of those statements is to refer to God's transcendence to his magnificence, to that sense in which God is higher and superior to anything there is in the creaturely realm. Again, the simplest way to discuss this is to say that which is holy is which, that which is different. End quote. Exodus 15, 11 says, Who is like you, O Lord, Moses quotes, among the gods? Moses is stating that there is none like God. There's no other quote-unquote God like him in all the universe. He stands in a category all by himself. He's unique. He's set apart. Psalm 96 9 says, worship the Lord in, in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. And here the psalmist is juxtapositioning both the earth and God and saying that there's, there's no comparison whatsoever. In fact, the earth has to, to tremble and bow down at our God. What an amazing thought that is, that God is separate so unique. There's nothing like him. And yet God chose you, Christian, to be like him. To be separate, holy from the world. The world that is engulfed in in sinful pleasures. God chose you to be set apart from the world. Sinless. Friends, what a privilege that is to be like God in the sense of being set apart. Now, we won't ultimately be 100% like God. There's no way that we can, can, can attain that. But he's called us to that level of being holy and different. He wants us to be unique for the sake of his purposes and for his glory. To be like God, to be distinct. What else has he chosen us to be? He's chosen us to be holy, but he's also chosen us to be blameless. And this makes sense. If we are to be holy, then we ought to be blameless as well. And sense they, they kind of go hand in hand. And because of the cross of Christ, when we stand before God, we are declared sinless before him. Be- because of Christ, we can stand be- we're going to be able to stand before God in the last day and, and be sinless. Because Christ has taken our sin. We are going to be blameless. So he's called us to be blameless. Colossians 1.22 says it in this way, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, before God. Now, God has chosen many people throughout eternity and throughout the Bible. And we get that in even just the life of Abraham. Abraham was chosen to be the one who would father the nation of Israel. Moses was chosen to lead his people out of Israel. Joshua was chosen to lead Israel in victorious battles and to lead the people into the promised land. David was chosen to to lead the united kingdom of the twelve tribes of Israel. And the 12 disciples were specifically chosen by Jesus and God himself to be a witness to the world, to proclaim his message to all. God chose each of these people to be set apart, to have a specific role, to be holy and blameless before him and to be used. Friends, what a privilege, what a blessing, that we would be chosen in the same way. Well, we looked at the first spiritual blessing, and that's God has chosen you. And I will look at a second spiritual blessing here is that that God has predestined you as well. God has predestined you. Whereas verse 4 put forward the fact that God has chosen you, here in verse 5 we have the emphasis of God's sovereignty in choosing you. See, being chosen or selected is is one thing, but to know that God has ordained his plan to happen is something totally different altogether. An example, dating. See, guys, you can choose to ask a girl out, and girls, you can choose to say yes or no, But neither of you can predestine whether or not you're going to get married. You just don't know if it's going to happen until it actually happens, right? But God knows. Even before the foundation of the world, before time began, He knew who would be saved because He chose who would come to know Him as Lord and Savior, who will be holy and who would be blameless before Him. And he actually has determined who you will indeed marry as well. Uh, how is this fair, you might ask? How is it fair that, that a God, even before I existed, would be able to say on his throne, you would be saved, you would be saved, you would be saved, and you would be saved, and by implication, others would not? How is that even fair to even comprehend Right. I remember struggling with this question myself when I was in your very seats my freshman year. And it just so happened that our small group was going through the book of Ephesians. And it just so happened that I was able to attend a conference that year when someone preached through this very, very topic. See, you're right. And this is the conclusion that we came to. It's not fair. It's not fair at all. It's not fair that some are predetermined before time and that others would, would be saved and others not. So then what is fair? What's fair is that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the wages of that sin is death. That's what we all deserve. And because we've all violated God's law, we all deserve that death. That, my friends, is what is is fair. God has set the standard high. And we've all failed it miserably. With even just one sin, we deserve death. Man who has been made by God in the image of God to display the goodness of God and to serve God and glorify God has rebelled against God. See, I think we often have the wrong picture in our minds. And let me, let, let me try to, to illustrate with you something that was so helpful for me. See, the, the, the image that we have is that we're all running towards God. See, we all think that we we deserve God. In our human nature and in our fleshly nature, we all believe that we deserve to go to heaven. And so we think that we're on our way to heaven and we're coming before God and before his gate and before his throne. And all of humanity is walking this way. And we all come and then we approach God and say, God, let me into your heaven. When in fact the reality is, is that we're all sinful and we all deserve death, and so we're actually running the exact opposite direction of where God is. In fact, we're running 180 degrees this way, and we're not even just going this way; we're sprinting this way because that's the direction of the world. And by God, in God's kindness and in His grace, He stops you, and you, and you who's running and sprinting this direction, away from God. And he says, stop. And in his grace, he takes you, and he turns you around. And he not only just turns you around, but he walks with you. In fact, he runs with you in the other direction. That's what predestination is. That's what it means that God said, I know you're going to be sinning against me, and you're, you're, you're determined, determined to go to hell on your own accord. But by my grace, I'm going to stop you. And I'm going to pluck you out of that. And I'm going to save you. From eternity past, that's what it means that God has chosen you. What, what, what a blessing. What a joy. See, predestination of his elect, at the heart of it is God's sovereignty. And if you believe God is in full control of all things, then you believe, you really actually believe that God can determine from before time who would come to him in his graciousness, in his kindness. God is in full control. Genesis 1-1 says that God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything out of nothing. Colossians one 16-17 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, "...visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together." Psalm 115 verse 3 says, "...our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases." Proverbs 19.21 says, "...many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails." Isaiah 46, Matt read it yesterday. I make known, verse 10, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Christian, we have been both chosen by God and because of his powerful sovereignty and control over all things, his selection is his promise to bring it about. But look at God's attitude toward his choosing and predetermining. The text says in love, not in anguish or regret or because there is no one better. He does it in love, not in anger or as a last resort or because he throws a dart at a wall and it happens to be your name. No, he sets his heart upon you. He sees your face and your soul and predestines you out of love, and he sends his son to die on the cross for you, for you, for your soul, for your benefit, for your joy, that you may be made right with God, that you might walk with God, that you may rest with God, that you may find peace in God, enjoy Him forever. That's what love is, right? 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we loved God, nothing that we have done, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 4.9, 1 John, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and his only son into the world that we might live through him. It's a sacrificial love. It's a love that, that seeks out. Romans 8, 29-30, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Friends, what does this love practically look like? He says it here. He adopts us as his sons. He adopts us as his sons. Adoption. In the Greek, it's a compound word. It means to place and son. It's to place a son. And I was speaking with some friends recently um, who have some children of their own, but who recently are um, fostering some some kids. And it was an unfortunate situation. Uh, there was a teenage girl who they were able to foster, who was part of another family and um, her and her other two sisters were part of this other family, but something happened, and she had to leave. is an unfortunate situation. So now the, the sisters are, are split. But he, my friend was telling me the story that, that this teenager daughter had told them, and they were all sitting at the dinner table. So you have the biological family. This is the other home, uh, not my friend's home. They're at the dinner table. The biological family, two parents, and the biological kids, and then the three foster children all having dinner together. And they told the story of after the dinner t- was done, the, foster, uh, the biological kids took the plates and started to, to clean up dinner. And the parents said, no, 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 no. That's for the foster kids. That's why we have the foster kids here. You don't, guys, you don't have to clean that up. Let's have them do that. And it broke my heart to hear that story because that's the picture of what sometimes the world thinks is adoption or as fostering children, but it's so radically different from what God calls adoption. Praise be to God that this is not the case with the family of God, amen? No, God has adopted us as his children, giving us the full benefits and the full rights to be called his very own, no distinction amongst others. He calls us in as his children and gives us all that he has. What else does this love practically look like look it, it, he says he does it according to his will and we can see this as according to his good pleasure it is the joy of god the father to love and to adopt he doesn't do it begrudgingly but he does it with eagerness and with joy first god chose you to be holy and blameless before him second god predestined you in love, as his children, according to his good pleasure. What a privilege, friends. What a blessing to remember. The third spiritual blessing I want you to remember, as we see here in the passage today, is that God lavishes you. God lavishes you. Lavish, with great abundance. It's the same idea that we see in Matthew 14, Matthew 15, When Jesus is with the crowds, the thousands of people, and there's not enough food, and God creates the food, basically out of nothing, but he creates the food, he multiplies the food, and he lavishes, there's abundance to go around, there's no lack whatsoever. What does he lavish you with? With the riches of his grace, it says. And in verse 7, these also include the forgiveness of sin, also that so that you might be redeemed. And so it's the very gospel, it's all the things of the gospel, and it's all the things that Riley's going to be sharing with you more tomorrow, but that is it. It's, it's, it's lavishing upon us forgiveness time and time again. It's lavish, lavishing on us the remembrance, the idea, the, the whole idea that God, the whole thing that God would send his son, Jesus Christ, to die and to pay the penalty for our sin. He's lavishing us with these truths. Think of the prodigal son, the prodigal son. He left his father, he took his father's inheritance and left and squandered it all, only to come back. And when his father saw him coming back, his father ran to him. And he just didn't run to him, but he hugged him. He almost, in a sense, embarrassed himself in front of his friends by running to him in the way that he did. And he ran to him and he he said, get the, the choicest animal and bring the robes. We're gonna spare nothing, for our son who has come back. It's that picture of no holding no expense for his people. God lavishes his children. And he lavishes you who are in Christ today. How does he lavish you? We kind of gives some pictures here. But what manner? And it says here in all wisdom and insight. Verse 8. Now, God is the source of all wisdom, right? Proverbs 2, verse 6-7, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. James 1-5 says that God gives wisdom freely to those who ask. He's the one who dispenses wisdom. He is the originator of wisdom. Uh, wisdom starts with him, and it ends with him. Romans 11, verse 33-35, Oh, the depths and the riches of um, of the riches and wisdom of knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and unscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, Who or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? There is none other compared to God in terms of wisdom. Therefore, when God lavishes you in wisdom, he's doing so having all the knowledge of all time. And not just knowledge, but Because we know in in Proverbs, it's skillful living. It's taking that knowledge and living it skillfully in a way that honors the Lord. And in God's case, he's making perfect decisions. And so when he's choosing you, and he's predestining you, and when he's adopting you as sons, he's doing it because of his great wisdom and his great plan, both for your joy and your joy greatest joy, and for his ultimate glory. When God lavishes you in wisdom, he's doing it so that you would be built up, so that you would be encouraged, that you might be sanctified, that you might be able to be more Christ-like, and therefore more useful and even greater in his kingdom. He lavishes you in all wisdom and insight. But verse 9, it also says, he lavishes you by making known his will. God reveals his plan to, to you where you get to be God's hands and you get to be his feet. And so that you might be involved in lavishing others with spiritual blessings to be part of bringing the good news of Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sins and the redemption which comes through his blood. In his wisdom and insight, he has given you this book the very words of God, and he has revealed to you his very will. Will for, for, for mankind, the will for, for eternity going forward. But in his scriptures are the words of eternal life, that which can bring about salvation as well. But also in this book you'll find specific phrases like this. This is the will this is the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4:3. If you want to know what God has for you specifically in your life, I know as amazing as that might sound, look to 1 Thessalonians verse uh, chapter 4 verse 3 and you'll find out 1 Thessalonians 5:18 and 1 Peter 2:15. Those words are specifically there. This is God's will for your life. This is the will of God for you. Now, it won't be the name of a grad school, per se, that you're going to go to, and it won't um, be the name of a guy or a girl, and it won't be the amount of money that you're going to make or the specific job that you're going to have and the title that you're going to have, and it won't have numbers of likes or followers that you'll receive, but it will have specific instructions for you, and it will set the standard for how you ought to live. See, God lavishes you. He gives that to you right here in his book. We don't deserve even that. God lavishes you with the riches of his grace, and he gives you the opportunity to be part of lavishing others as well. What a privilege. Amen? What a blessing. The fourth spiritual blessing that we see here in this passage today is that God provides you and inheritance. God provides you an inheritance. Verse 11, similarly to the adoption of sons, God has promised through his son an inheritance for those who believe. What kind of inheritance is it? Well, if you read First Peter chapter 1, specifically verse 3, we're going to do a, a brief overview here, but it says this Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's the type of inheritance that we are given. It's imperishable. It doesn't expire, it will never go bad. It's permanent, undefiled, it's pure, unstained from sin. It's complete, lacking in nothing. It has no blemish nor hint of anything stained from this world. It's unfading. It doesn't lose its value or diminish in quality. The full inheritance will always be there. And it's kept in heaven, meaning that it's secured for you by God himself and Jesus Christ himself. By the creator of the universe. And no man can take it away from you. Nothing that you do can ever invalidate, ever take away that inheritance. We don't have to worry if our sibling is going to steal our inheritance. Like Jacob and Esau. It's reserved in heaven with your name. And if you're a Christian, it's guaranteed. Since God gives you this inheritance, no one can take it away. If you're truly in Christ Jesus, no person, no entity can snatch it from God's hands. What is this inheritance then, you might ask? Sure, it's all the riches and the joys of heaven. It's a new body and a place where there will be gold and and amazing things. No more pain and no more sorrow. But even greater, it's when you will be face-to-face with Jesus Christ. In heaven forever, worshiping him Forever and ever, untainted, a place without sin. God provides you an incredible inheritance, and it's secure. What a privilege! What a blessing! Now, the fifth spiritual blessing to remember that God gives to us—it's that God sealed you. God sealed you, verse thirteen. Now, who is the guarantee, the guarantor of our inheritance? It's the Holy Spirit himself. Third person of the Trinity, who he himself is truly God, just as the Father is and as the Son is. The Holy Spirit seals you. Now, there are a couple of instances of of seal used in the biblical times, and this idea of sealing could simply be understood as complete or as in, seal the deal, but I think there's more here to this passage as shown in the context. Uh, another type of seal, which I believe is, is portrayed here, is it's a guarantee. It's a guarantee to everything that, that's happened before that we just read. Another type of seal was, in, in especially in these times in the Greek times, in the times of Paul, was that they would use a document or an object, something that would show and prove that what it is traveling with is genuine, that it's authentic. And by the mere seal itself, it's, it's, it's appealing to a higher authority, to something that is verifiable, to show that, again, I'm going to back the validity of this document or this item. See, our family is preparing to move to the Philippines in, in about six weeks, and in, in so doing, we had to prepare our legal documents. So we have our passports and all these types of things, but one specific thing that we need in order to obtain a missionary visa in the Philippines is to have, number one, our marriage license and our birth certificates. And so we had those all ready to go, and then we find out you have to get something called an apostille. And that's exactly what's happening here. We had to send in our documents to the state of California Someone had to review them, they had to look at them, they had to go through their own records to make sure that all the signatures and all the dates and all the details on this document were in fact registered with the county and this document was legitimate. It wasn't fabricated, it wasn't just made up, but it is indeed real. And that's what the Philippines wanted. And so what did the state of California do? They attached another document with another seal that's recognized by the government of the Philippines to say, Yes, we have validated this information. We guarantee that it is correct. And that's exactly what is happening here. It's a form of seal. It's a form of guarantee. See, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing for each person who believes. He's acting as an authentication of our life in Christ, a verification. John 7, John fourteen seventeen and 1 Corinthians sixteen nineteen say that the Holy Spirit is indwells within each christian now the holy spirit has many other roles in the believer's life but this one is significant as we see here in this passage because he guarantees our inheritance he guarantees that we are indeed set apart he guarantees that we have been chosen what does he guarantee our salvation in christ right verse 13 in him, referring to Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He also guarantees our inheritance to come, as we discussed in the previous point. Now, I don't know about you, but in the consumer world, we all love guarantees, right? We all love guarantees. Money back guarantee. 60-day guarantee. No hassles, right? Right? Perfect fit, guarantee is the one that I saw, or you can return it for the correct size. Best price, guarantee. My favorite, lifetime, guarantee, right? And if you have the option to choose something, exact same product, but one vendor is offering a guarantee and the other is not, same price, you're going to go with the one with the guarantee, Take for example a knife. Now I don't know how many of you are in the kitchen. I know some of you guys are, but I like to be in the kitchen. And I know in the, in the consumer world, Cutco knife has a lifetime guarantee, right? Or you could get the limited, or you can get the one year guarantee from Wusthof. Which one would you take? If they were all else equal, you take the one with a lifetime guarantee. You're chopping away at the vegetables. You can hack away at the vegetables. You can hack away at the chicken bones. And if the blade breaks, send it in for a new one. Send it in to get sharpened. That's a lifetime guarantee. In fact, because the Cutco warranty is so good, we go and tell others about it, right? You got to get the Cutco knife and make sure you get the warranty. I've sent mine back. They sharpened it for free. If they couldn't sharpen it, they sent me a whole new one altogether. We're so excited about the guarantees of life, right? And the Holy Spirit is our guarantee in life. Friends, we see that, that we've been given the, the Holy Spirit. We've been given an eternal guarantee in our salvation and that we will never lose it and that we will have an inheritance in heaven. And yet we so often live our lives in a way of caution as if that guarantee is not there, as if we'll mess up God's plan for our life, or as if God hasn't sealed our salvation at all. Friends, we should be living as if we have that lifetime guarantee, because we do. It's been sealed for us. It's guaranteed. The Holy Spirit indwells. And actually the whole passage today relates to this. If, if we truly remember each day and moment of our lives that God has chosen us and predestined us, that he lavishes us and that he has sealed an inheritance for us, that we would be so much more in tune to his holy word which he has given to us. Then we would be so less worried about the trivial things of this world. If we were truly remembered all that God has given to us, then we would trust in the Lord with so much more. Our future. And then we would be so much more bold and to take risks for God, to proclaim the gospel to, to those who we might fear, to those people in our life, in our school, in our workplace, even our family. And we would even use our leisure time better for the glory of God. Friends, what a privilege. What a blessing. Now, there's one more thing I want to point out, and it's bonus, point six, I guess we could say. God allows you to worship him. God allows you to worship him. All of this, all of what God has done for you, yes, it's directed to you. It's the blessings that you get. Forget not all of his blessings, benefits we think about ourselves, but it's ultimately not for you it's ultimately to the praise of his glory but that is a benefit to us to be able to praise the one who's created all things verse three blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ paul understands this from the outset that he is ascribing blessing to god the father for all of these things. Verse 6 All of these things that we have just said are to the praise of His glory, is grace. Verse 14 To the praise of His glory. Friends, we have the privilege to honor, to live, and, and to, to die for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have been chosen by Him from the days before the world began to be used by him so that others would come to know him as well. Well, pass the days and the world will be no more. We have people the opportunity to share the gospel to those who will experience the grace in those days ahead. We have been given the riches of God not not only for our, our sake but for the sake of being a testimony and a light so that others can see the greatness of our savior there is none like him he alone is worthy to be praised friends god chose you god predestined you god lavishes you god provides an inheritance for you god gives you the holy spirit and seals you and god allows you to worship him what a privilege what a blessing May we remember these truths and forget not all these benefits in God, our Father. Now, perhaps you're hearing these benefits of God for the very first time. Or perhaps you've heard about them before, but it never really caught your attention and never really sank in. If you aren't sure whether or not the Lord has done these things for you, or, or if you know he has it, I urge you, talk to someone here this weekend. That's what this retreat is all about. Because these words are for the Christian, for the one who has received the forgiveness of sins through Christ and has committed their life to Christ. The message for you, if you haven't received Christ, is different. The message for you is to not try to figure out if God has chosen you or if he's predestined you. The question for you and the message for you is this, come, come. And confess your sin. Realize your sinfulness before a holy God. Come, trust him as your Lord and Savior. The most pertinent message for you is this. It's John 6, 40. says this, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him. That's the message for you today, is to look to the Son and to believe in Him. Look to Christ today, and those blessings will also be yours. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this retreat and this time together to look at the blessings of God the blessings that you have bestowed upon each of us who believe. Father, you've chosen us, not because you had to, because you, but because you wanted to. You've predestined us out of love and out of care for your own namesake, but also for our joy and for our benefit. And we look forward to the day when we'll have that inheritance, Lord, to be with you for eternity time. We thank you, Lord, for giving us the Holy Spirit who indwells with us today to remind us, to to allow us to remember all that you've done, but also to be a sign and to be a seal, Lord, a guarantee of our inheritance. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be able to worship you, and we look forward to that day when we can worship you face to face. Father, give us the conversation this afternoon Give us the conviction. Lord, give us all that we need to be able to to take in what we've been hearing this weekend, to apply it to our life, and for some to maybe even come to you for the very first time. This would be our prayer, Lord. May you be honored and may you be glorified. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.